We have a treat for you. Uh, I got a video that was sent to me from Greg's parents. Okay, uh, you ready to cue it up? Is it available? Okay. It's uh, Greg when he was younger, singing a song from his childhood idol. Uh, <laughs> Michael Jackson, and he was singing Rock and Robin. Okay, uh, wait a minute, it's not seem to be working. Okay, we have a technical glitch. I guess it's not gonna work. So. <laughs> <laughs> However, <laughs> you know what, after, after that we need to pray. Lord, we ask that you just meet us here this morning. Enable us, Lord, just to be able to, to see from the scripture, Lord, just the love you have for us. To be able to understand just what it cost you to love us, Lord, and what our response should be as we look at Christmas and just your birth. And we offer these things in faith in your name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I titled it this Teaching the Cradle and the Cross. It's a heavenly love story. Since we already started talking about Michael Jackson, I'm going to bring him in now. How do you bring Michael Jackson into a Christmas story? Well, in the late 80s, he recorded an album, and he called it History, because it was his history. And it was a, pretty much a colossal monetary flop, however. But aside from that, uh, it was kind of presumptuous to me, because history is about one person, and that's Jesus. Okay? One person impacted history so much that it's literally split in two. Because yep. you have B.C., and A.D., before he came and after. No one has impacted history like he did. Countless men have lived, done awesome things, okay, and not so awesome things. You have a man like Michael Jackson. But in each one of their instances, their lives were interrupted or cut short by their deaths. You have men like Abraham Lincoln, who had a heart to be able to bring the country together, his life cut short. Martin Luther King, a man of peace, how much he accomplished, but his life cut short. JFK, you have all these men, the tragedies was that their life was cut short. Everything they could have accomplished was stopped. Left undone by their untimely deaths. However, you look at one other man, and that's Jesus. And for him, his life wasn't cut short by an untimely death. His life was fulfilled. His mission completed by his death. You need to understand, we need to understand the act of love it was as he was born. His mission was ultimately to die for us. This morning, folks, if any of you are here because it's Christmas and you may come just at Christmas and Easter, uh, you get a two-for-one deal today. You get a Christmas message and an Easter message mixed together. So, uh, so we still invite you to come back at Easter. <laughs> uh, but the scriptures show in the Nativity story clearly how Bethlehem, his birth, foreshadows Calvary, his death. The cradle foreshadows the cross. Now get your pens and paper out because you want to take notes. Um, 
If we look at these parallels, I'm also at the end going to give you a practical illustration of what that means. In Luke 2, you know the story. Because of taxation, people were ordered to go back to their, their place of birth. Okay. So Joseph Mary went to Bethlehem. You know the story? There was no room for him in the inn. Jump 33 years later is Jesus in Jerusalem. Did I say Jerusalem? Bethlehem is where they went. In Jerusalem, 33 years later, there was no room for him in the people's hearts. Okay. Remember Luke 23, 20, where Pilate said, I want to release him. And they said, no, crucify, crucify him, crucify him. No room in the inn, no room in their hearts. Now this is the same Jesus that in Luke 1941 said that when he approached the city, he saw it and he wept over it. Why? Because he knew what their end results were going to be. He had a love for them in spite of what he knew they were going to do for him and do to him. That convicts me because uh, there's times whenever I approach things and think, I'm just going to do this sacrificially. I don't care if nobody notices. I don't want to know if they know who I, if I did it. But afterwards, when people really don't notice, okay, uh, then I kind of like, they didn't even say thanks. Okay? And God nails me and shows me, yeah, you aren't really doing that sacrificially. But isn't it awesome that God, that Jesus had that kind of a heart towards us? He knew that how long, for even, even those of us who are saved, how long we rejected him, how long we walked without him. But it was because of his love, he never gave up on us. And he still provided the way for us to be saved in that death. In Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph settling into a borrowed room where Jesus, baby Jesus would have his first supper. 33 years later, Jesus in Jerusalem in the upper room where Jesus would have his last supper. In Bethlehem, Jesus placed in a manger. You know what a manger is, folks? It's nothing more than a feeding trough. I remember Jesus in John 6.48 said, I am the bread of life. And he was in Bethlehem. Does anybody know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. bread. So we have the bread of life there in the house of bread being placed in a feeding trough for us. Is that love? Is that love? And we know that Jesus, 33 years later in Jerusalem, in 1 Corinthians 11.24, he said he gave thanks broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. You see the parallels? The bread of life in the house of bread. And a feeding trough for us. 33 years later, take, eat this bread. This is my body broken for you. What a fulfillment, a picture of love for us. In Bethlehem, we see Mary. Now this, is, this is good, guys. Catch this. We see Mary in labor pains. Cammy in here? Okay. <laughs> You've been through it, but you're going to go through it again. My daughter, Rachel, you've been through it. Okay. Labor pains. First, the water breaks. Then the blood. The baby is born. That happened to Mary, Bethlehem. 33 years later, as Jesus hung on that cross. What do we have? We have a soldier coming up and putting a spear into his side. Opening his side. What comes out? The word says, water and blood. You know what that signifies? 
He was giving birth because he too was going through labor pains as he was hanging on that cross laboring for you and me. He gave birth. Birth out of your side, Mike? Well, you remember back in the garden, Adam. What did, you, what did God do? He opened his side and birthed his spouse, his wife, his helpmate. On that cross, Jesus birthed his bride. That's us, folks. That's us. Isn't that awesome? In Romans 5.8, but Jesus shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Birth, birthed us so we could be born again. In Bethlehem, the shepherds were told about Jesus. He was born at night on Calvary when he hung on that cross. But between 2 and 3 in the afternoon, it became dark like night is that Claudius' sins hung over him because so, he was paying the price for us. Luke 23, 44 tells us, from noon till three, the light was, of the sun was gone. Born in darkness, died in darkness, even though it was the middle of the day. In Bethlehem, we see Mary gazing at her baby son, naked and crying, no doubt, love and joy filling her heart. 33 years later, on Calvary, we see Mary standing at the foot of the cross, this time brokenhearted, looking up at her son, naked, and crying out this time. Matthew 27, 46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The parallel is unmistakable, folks. What happened in Bethlehem happened at Calvary. In his birth at Bethlehem, in that feeding trough, he no doubt had animals surrounding him. It was a manger. 33 years later, as he hung on the cross at Calvary, he again was surrounded by animals. Psalms 23, 12, and, and verse 16, a prophecy. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their mouths wide like a ravening and roaring lion. Verse 16, Dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Think of what he willingly suffered, knowing that he was going to go through those things. Surrounded by animals in the manger, surrounded by animals at his death. In Bethlehem, we see the shepherds with their flocks, bringing this, those flocks back into Bethlehem, looking for the baby Jesus. You remember the story in Luke chapter 2? When he told them, fear not, behold, I bring you glad tidings. And they said, let's go and see this Jesus. Let's go and see what, it, uh, what they've talked about. At Calvary, we see a similar thing happening, but actually the opposite. Remember, Jesus had prophesied in Matthew 26, 31, they will all fall away this night. The sheep will be scattered for my sake. The sheep brought into Bethlehem with joy. That night, the sheep scattered. All scattered except one, John. In Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary, this is, this is neat, guys. Joseph and Mary at his birth. Joseph, chosen by God to be there. Chosen by God to take care of Mary and the baby Jesus. 33 years later at Calvary, Jesus looks down at Mary and Joseph, 
uh, excuse me, Mary and John, and said, Woman, behold your son. Said to the disciple, Behold your mother. That hour the disciple took her into his home. You see, even hanging on the cross, the provision that the Lord had, suffering more than we can imagine, but he still had a heart to, to see, I want to take care of my mother. Joseph, chosen. John, chosen. You see the parallel. In Bethlehem, no doubt Joseph, picking up that baby, wrapping him in swaddling clothes, loving on him in the manger. At Calvary, we see another Joseph. You know the story in John 19? Joseph of Arimathea going to Pilate and begging for the body of Jesus, wrapping him in the burial clothes, putting him in his tomb. Story in Matthew 2 of the Magi. Remember those guys? Seeing a star at night, they followed it to where Jesus was, bringing gifts, among them myrrh, a burial spice. Jump 33 years later on that first Easter morning. This time we see wise women, not following a star, but at the rising of the sun, coming to the tomb making their way to the tomb, bringing burial spices, probably and no doubt myrrh among them, to anoint the body of Jesus. You see the parallels here, folks? In Bethlehem, we see angels appearing to the shepherds, telling them, fear not, because of the good news. Then in Luke 10, 2.10, excuse me, that was Luke 2.10, whenever they told them, fear not, behold. 33 years later, Jesus died, was laid in the tomb, then rose from the dead. These wise women came to the tomb that morning, seeking the body of Jesus. We find an angel again. What does the angel say again this time? Do not be afraid. I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He has risen. Come see the place where he lay. Wouldn't you love to have been there? So they departed quickly from the tomb with great fear and joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Just like the shepherds that night. Go and tell people. They had to go and run to see Jesus. This time with joy. Again, for the women, the angels saying, you can have joy. You can have joy. I hope you see how the story of the cross totally parallels perfectly the story, the cradle with the cross. I took time to share that with you because... We need to understand that from the moment that Jesus came to this planet, it was an act of love. He came knowing the reason for his coming was for his dying. Dying in our place. 1 John 4.10 says, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The world has its own interpretation of what love is. In fact, I looked this up on the, on the internet. Uh, according to WWW, your dictionary, love, a strong feeling of affection and concern for another person accompanied by physical attraction. They didn't put it, physical attraction that way, but it's in a family service, I'm going to say that. Um, it says, an intense emotional attachment to something as to a pet or treasured object. Also, a score of zero as in tennis. I just do that last one then just for the heck of it. But that's the world views love. Okay. You know what the world, 
I'm going to ask Greg to sing this for us. Um, remember the Beatles song, All You Need Is Love? You know the words? All you need is love. Okay, good, thank you. <laughs> That's how the world views it, okay? They think, oh, what awesome verses. You know, how, how cute, how warm fuzzies it gives you to think about all the world needs is love. So idealistic, even a goal people strive for. I'm going to tell you something that flies in the face of that, folks. Something you won't hear from the world. We don't need more love. We already have too much of it. Now, before you start throwing things at me, I'm going to tell you that in the world, there is no lack of love of money. No lack of love of possessions. What you want, what you have, or what you want more. No lack of love of the flesh or physical pleasure. No lack of love of your own intellect, false gods, your own intellect, or even religion. It all stems from the worst tyrant of all, self-love. See, we don't need just love. We need the right kind of love. We need God's love. That's what Jesus came to be, showing us what it was and giving it to us. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 tells us, Do not lay up for treasures for yourself on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Luke 2, 2 through 5, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This is important. Nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also at the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Compare that to what the world says is love. A complete opposite. The real effectual love we need is selfless, other-minded Sacrificial love, the same kind of love that Jesus had for us. Because of his love for us, he came first and foremost for our salvation. But he also, he did that because no one else was capable of doing it. He did it for you and me. But this morning, I want to leave you with a second thought, a second perspective, a second consideration. Not only did he come to die for our salvation, he came to die as a practical illustration. Not only for our salvation, but also a practical illustration. What illustration is that, Mike? Please don't miss it. He came to die as an illustration of God's love. He came to die as an illustration of how to live. God's love and how to live. This is vital, family, vital to the Christmas story. To a happy holiday, to living life to its fullest. You ready? It's dying, my friends. Dying to self. Dying to self. You, please, you need to see this with me. From the moment of his birth there in Calvary, in Bethlehem, all the way to his death on Calvary, one thing was always in front of him. One thing he always had sight of. You know what that was? The cross is death. The life he led always pointed the life he lived always pointed 
to his death. Now, with that kind of knowledge, with that kind of perspective, do you think it caused him to be depressed, sullen, or miserable, to make him withdrawn? Uh, we know that's not even close. He came, as he said in John 10, 10, I came to give you life, and life abundantly. See, people saw him, experienced his life and his love. They said, that's a man who knows how to live. That's a man I can follow. Rugged men, wealthy women, left everything, their jobs, their homes, their friends, their families, their nets, to follow him because of the quality of life he possessed. A quality of life that fascinated people. He was just not trying to be disrespectful here or irreligious, but he was just an ordinary guy, folks. He was just an ordinary guy in a lot of ways who spoke about abundant life, about forgiveness, about a God-seeking relationship with the people he loved. He didn't need possessions, fame, or wealth to be happy. But you know what he did? He changed the world. The key to, this is the key to, fam, to, to real life, folks. The key that Jesus knew. Jesus lived life backwards. I'm going to tell you that again. Jesus lived life backwards. That's the only way that life really works. A life that's constantly focused on your debt. Happy holidays. <laughs> okay, it's been great. To, no, we're going to go on. <laughs> We need to remember that just like Jesus, death wasn't the end. For us, it's not the end. It's just the beginning. It's the door to heaven. I'm going to challenge you. If tonight an angel would appear to you and say, on Christmas Day, you're going to go be with Jesus. What would be the first thing you'd do? (laughs) After that, would it be to turn on TV and watch the WWF? <laughs> or maybe play video games? Or would you be stressing over your coming bills? <laughs> stressing over the traffic that's going to be here between now and Christmas? <laughs> or maybe worried about those extra pounds you may be putting on because of that chocolate, too much chocolate or goodies you're going to be eating even today? I don't think you'd do any of those things. You know what I think you'd do? you make sure you told the people in your life that you love them. If you've got kids, you'd grab them, you'd hug them, and you'd tell them, son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter, I want to share with you some things that you need to know. I want to share with you some things about Jesus, about my life, about what he's done for me. I want to invest these things in you. You'd make that call to that aunt or uncle or friend that maybe you haven't talked to in a long time. You make that call and tell them, you know what, I need to share with you. You need Jesus in your life. You go to that neighbor in your street and share that same thing with them. You see, living life backwards means focusing on death. But it means living each day like it could be your last. Then and only then does life have true meaning that God intended for us. But Mike, I'm planning for a retirement. I'm planning for this big vacation. Okay? Or I'm waiting for that person that God has chosen 
to be in my life. Okay. That husband or wife that he's chosen for me. Well, you know what? That's all, that's all great. But if that's your main focus and it keeps everything else out, especially the Lord, then guess what? It leads to nothingness. It leads to emptiness and nothingness. How do we know? Because Jesus said so. In Luke 9, 23 and 24, he said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever would lose his life for my sake will save it. That means die daily and follow me. Please don't miss that last part. This doesn't mean sacrifice daily. It means die daily and follow me. It doesn't mean going to being a monk, sending yourself off from everything and trying to, to uh, keep all those worldly pleasures. Well, that's great, but if you're not also following Jesus, if you're not doing the next part of it, then it's also leading to nothingness. See, the person who seeks his life to save his life, refuses to die to self, will lose his life. Sorry, folks, but eventually will be a loser. If you live your life richly, fully, and abundantly, if you do what Jesus did, if you live life backwards, realize life is short. We don't have time for the things that aren't eternal because I'm living backwards. I'll do what I have to. I'll do what Jesus tells me to do, what he intends for me. I'll tell you a shocking truth. Whatever is under your tree at home may be pleasurable for a time, may can make it happy for a short time, but chances are it's either going to eventually wind up in your garage, wind up at a thrift shop, in the dump, <laughs> or at some thrift store. How do I show true love then, Mike? That's how I show people that I love them, by all the presents I give them. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But what truly blesses people's lives and hearts whenever you sacrificially give yourself to them, when you invest in their lives, lovingly invest in their lives, when you say what's important and needful for you is more important than, than me. Because I'm focusing on you. That's what Jesus told me to do. Living life backwards. I know there are some people who are just hard to love that way, though. So what? Jesus doesn't tell us to have the warm fuzzies for everybody. He says, love them. How? 1 John 3.18, not in word and deed, but in deed, not in word or talk, but in deed and truth. You love them by loving on them. You're not going to have the warm fuzzies for everybody. There are people who are going to even reject that, but you, what you do is you die to self and you keep loving on them. That's what Jesus called us to do. You know to on next Friday, if Angels tells you that, that that's going to be in my graduation ceremony. I'm going to go home and experience heaven. What will you leave with your family and friends? What would you leave with them? How would you react to them? How would you spend your time with them? 
If you're saying, today I have to live as Jesus did, taking up my cross, dying to self, so I can live the life that Jesus intended for me. Dying to self means living life lovingly and abundantly. It's just the way it is, folks. It's just the way it is. We see that example, again, almost complete here, but we see that example from the cradle to the cross. Everything in his life pointed to his love for us and what he wanted to accomplish for us, and he knew that only came in his death. That's our example, living life backwards. But I promise you, if you do that, you're going to have the happiest holidays. If you do that, you're going to have a life that's filled with the joy of the Lord. If you do that, you're going to have a life that God will bless you in. Remember that verse? Don't lay up your treasures here, but in heaven. Everything that Jesus asks you to put aside, to die to self on so you can bless someone else. Guess what? You may seem like you're losing it here, but you're investing in heaven, folks. That's what Jesus knew. He knew dying here, sure, but I'm going to be in heaven, and he's, going to, he's waiting for his inheritance. You know who his inheritance is? Us. Think about it. His inheritance. He said, when I die, I've got an inheritance. I've got a family. I've got a bride that I'm going to spend eternity with. That needs to be our perspective today. As we, yes, have the joy of the Lord, as we remember his birth. But you can't remember his birth without remembering his death. What that meant for us. I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes, please, and just, I want to give everyone a chance now. Knowing that Jesus, what Jesus did for us, knowing who he is, how much he loved us. I would be totally remiss if I didn't give this opportunity for anyone here that may not have already made that commitment to Jesus. Not already accepted that free gift of eternal life that he gives us. Free for us. It cost him everything. The invitation is if you haven't accepted Jesus into your life yet, I'm going to give you that opportunity. I want you to just, we're not going to bring you up in front of everybody. I want to give you the opportunity to raise your hand and just confess to him today that you want that gift that he has for you. can ask another quick invitation. Maybe you've asked Jesus into your life, but right now you know that you've been living to self. You've been living for self. Your life has been all focused on me, me, me. And Jesus is telling you, I want you to turn that around and I want you to focus on him. And Jesus is saying, you can say me, 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 but it has to be Jesus, me not Mike me. If you want to just ask the Lord to help you, to turn that corner, to do that 360 and say, Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired of the self-love. I want to have the love. I want to love you the way I need to because of your love for me. 
you want to ask, if you want to just confess that to the Lord, if you want to just ask his help with that, just raise your hand and we'll pray for you. Lord, thank you. All we can say is thank you, Lord. Thank you for your birth. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for hanging on the cross for us. Dying so that we don't have to. Thank you, Lord, for providing a way for us to have life and life abundantly. Lord, we just... We praise you, Lord, and we thank you. And we ask that you would just meet us here for the rest, remainder of this service and for the remainder of the day. And like, let this just be that first day that we change our focus, that we live life for you. And we live life knowing that this is just for a time and a season, but we will spend eternity with you. We look forward to that day of being there, Lord, standing next to you, being told, well done, good and faithful servant. To you be the glory and the honor. In your name, our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.